0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Medical Sports Nutrition podcast with myself, Dr. Andy Matheson. I'm going to be running through some of the articles on sports nutrition and health nutrition that have caught my eye this week and and over the last few weeks. So the first article we're going to go for is in JAMA Internal Medicine. It's a uh, time-restricted eating article, so it's Effectiveness of Early Time-Restricted Eating for Weight Loss Fat Loss and Cardiometabolic Health in Adults with Obesity, a randomized clinical trial. Uh, first officer Jamshed, last officer Peterson. And it was, it was an RCT, which is very unusual in nutrition. Uh, and it was looking mostly at time-restricted eating. I think it was 90 patients, 14 weeks, aged between 25 and 75, who were attending a weight loss clinic. And they were mainly looking at weight and fat loss, and, but they also looked at blood pressure, heart rate, insulin levels, glucose levels, and some other bits. Um, so a, a, good, a good effort, it is just, it's just so unusual to find people managing something like this, especially for a decent period in a group that we're all interested in. Um, and it was, it was it took them a couple of years to get it done. Main ones were being improvements in blood pressure, mood disturbances, fatigue, um, and depression. The other outcomes were pretty similar. Um, So time-restricted eating was more effective for losing weight and diastolic blood pressure and the impact on mood was their conclusion. And that that probably reflects what, what people tend to come out with. Not everyone, a lot of people tend to say that their mood's improved. It's effective for losing weight over calorie control now what's the thing you can control for here inevitably anyone that's ending up at a weight loss clinic has tried calorie control in has found it doesn't work for them otherwise it is still the standard that's recommended by most medical practice and if you're paying to get to a weight loss treatment clinic you are almost certainly have tried that in on your own or with a program before so yes the People in the study were probably a select, self-selected bunch, and so some bias there. Uh, otherwise, a, an interesting trial, and, and we'll, when what will I take mm-hmm. from it? When people mention to me about, uh, I think my mood's a little bit better, what are other positives of time-restricted eating, um, I, I will feel more confident saying to them that... Uh, it probably does help your blood pressure and your mood. And I have a controlled trial, a randomized controlled trial to actually base it on rather than just, just hearsay or cohort study reports. So I, I really enjoyed that. Some problems with it, certainly, but, but I think it will, will make me more confident in talking through those areas. So the next study. So this was in the BNJ, and this was the Sani perspective. Cohort study. So it was called Joint Association of Food Nutritional Profile by NutriScore, front of pack label and ultra processed food intake with mortality. Molly prospective cohort study and first officer Bonaccio and last author was Donati. Now, what they were doing here was looking uh, at the Molly Sani so study, so it was about 27,000 patients. And it was in Europe and it was looking at the food quality labelling through the Nutrascore, essentially against a processed food classification called NOVA, and seeing did they match up? Was which one was more effective at identifying uh, the mortality risk uh, and mortality? And what they came away with was saying that the NOVA classification did seem more effective at identifying those higher mortality risk groups than just the NutraScore alone. So the NutraScore was good at identifying them, but the NutraScore didn't identify anyone that wasn't also identified by the NOVA classification. But there were people identified by the NOVA classification, increased risk, statistical risk, that the Nutra score missed. So essentially, another nail in the coffin of food quality scores when compared to ultra-process scores and coming more as we all are more and more towards this idea that maybe what really counts is how much processing is going on and, and the real villains are the the people that want to keep our food lasting a long long time on the shelves which is the food company and is us because we're not willing to pay a decent amount for our food we want the cheapest thing because we don't have much money at the moment because the world's going to, uh, well, you can stick whatever whatever phrase you want to use in next. But certainly in the UK, um, it's going to be a, a huge concern um, for me and anyone working in nutrition that the first thing that's going to get cut as everyone's budgets get squeezed is, can I get this cheaper? And the cheaper food is the food that can sit on the shelf for longer. Uh, that's just the way that our shopping systems will work. So it's going to be more and more and more processed food. So, there was going to be this knock on for health. And after that cheerful little uh, comment, let's move on to the next one. So, this was a bit of a switch away. This was, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, It was looking at essentially mistakes that we uh, all make when we're trying to figure out what's wrong with people and it was um a lot of big hitters in here it was first officer parker and close last author Elliot sale and there james morton it was called where do you where do you go when your periods go a case study examining secondary amenorrhea in a professional internationally capped female soccer player through the lens of the sports nutritionist and what I liked about it was something that is unusual to see in in the nutrition world. We see much more. Well, we see it all the time. It's essentially always published in in medical journals. It tend in discussed in mortality and morbidity rounds. In classically in hospitals, you sit down you take. A case that's gone wrong and you present it and all your colleagues in front of you tell you where you went wrong, where they would have gone differently, what they think you should learn from it. And it's a pretty humiliating experience, but it's, it's part of that kind of if you can manage that in a no-blame way or even a, a blame way and just learn to have some thick skin, it is how you drive forward improvements. And what they've done here is just taken a case study of a female uh, soccer player um, and just run through what their thought process was, how they managed, how they felt it was most likely to be read um, in low energy availability, and maybe they missed some other things, and maybe they, they jumped on uh, that, that phrase of, uh, the, to the man with the hammer, everything looks like a nail. They At the moment, for a lot of us, we, we, because we're so worried about missing low energy availability, because it is quite fashionable, um, it's quite... Easy to ignore all the other causes of uh, menstrual dysfunction and, and ill health otherwise. So uh, it was a felt very familiar to me as a doctor, and something that I've always got a huge amount of respect for anyone that's that's able to kind of air their dirty laundry um, like that. And it's uh, helps everyone involved when you do it and who reads it. Um, so, yeah, I definitely recommend reading it. Um, Nothing I think I'd particularly change myself, but a a lovely little shot across the bow of don't get uh, distracted. People get lots of things wrong with them, not just what we uh, happen to be publishing on at the moment. So the next one we looked at was uh, it was called Patterns of Energy Availability of free living athletes displaying day to day variability that is not reflected in lab based protocols. Insights from elite male road cyclists. First author, Taylor. Last author, Areta. And I don't, I don't think this will change anything that I'm doing. It was just a nice uh, working through about why some of the research findings that we might see when we do research in end-to-energy availability might not track across particularly well to real life. Now, and every time, and this is this falls into the, when I read this paper, what do I need to remember? There's always seems to be a bit of a gap between some of the science-based products measuring biomarkers and changes in in lab environments and then quite a big jump to people who are working with elite teams that don't really want you to know all their information uh, and don't really have easy access to and are quite secretive, especially at the higher elite level, about what they're up to. Uh, And that gap kind of gets filled with the assumption that hopefully the lab stuff is accurate. And it's similar to when we do look at any animal models. Is that animal model a good model of what happens in humans? In particular, the humans that come into my clinic. So this is saying, is what's going on in laboratories to assess ways we might test and manage energy availability and low energy availability in the lab, are the way we design the lab work is the way we use the lab work does that track over to what i see coming into my clinic and the humans that walk through my door or not and what they said is is not particularly well which is is what you'd expect and and we all need to be keeping that in the back of our mind um so the final one i got is another is another bmj one another ultra processed food article uh, and this was maternal cons- consumption of ultra-processed foods and subsequent risk of offspring overweight or obesity. And it was first officer Wang. And this was interesting, and this I think would be practice-changing for me. Um, so maybe less so people working purely in the sports environment, but this just comes onto that Perry for me that Perry conception discussion. Um, I think all of us especially if we're working with female athletes who at some point may be looking to get pregnant Uh, There's the temptation to focus on how that might uh, work around their training, what's manageable, Canadian guidelines for training during pregnancy and things like that. And then moving on to just the general health things, what's good for your placenta, make sure you're not smoking, although a few athletes will be doing that. Um, Are you taking supplements? When should you start taking the supplements, the vitamin supplements earlier and earlier is the recommendation, uh, certainly uh, before conception. So this was looking at well, what's the impact of the ultra-processed foods, and in particular, does that have an impact on your child's obesity? And if the short answer is yes, uh, it, so it was a US study looking at the Nurses' Health Study and Growing Up Today Study. Twenty thousand people um, until lost to follow-up, and they found a twenty percent, twenty-six percent higher risk in the highest intake of processed food group, which I imagine if nurses like in the US are like clinicians over here and nurses over here, working in hospitals, there's a fair bit of processed food eating going on if their uh, canteens are as bad as ours. So what will this make me do? It will actually make me add to my periconception, thinking about conceiving chat. Look, maybe you should be steering away from ultra processed foods, which again, The next thing's going to be, how do I afford to do that? Uh, And I don't know the answer to that one. Um, I really don't. Well, thanks very much for for that. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed. I really recommend some of those articles. Really interesting work. Um, I hope you have a great week and I'll chat to you soon.